0: Well, if you haven't been with us, we're in a series in the book of Mark called "Journey to the Cross," and we're following Jesus as He takes His journey uh, to the crucifixion, and we're doing this to prepare ourselves for Easter. Now, as Jesus goes on the road to the cross, uh, each step of the way, He's teaching His disciples uh, about what it means to follow Him. Uh, he's, he's He's teaching them about lessons about discipleship. Uh, he's showing them what it what it's going to look like to follow in His footsteps. And so this morning, uh, we're going to look at a passage which gets to a question uh, that, that I guess is an eternal question, no matter which way you look at it. Uh, because here in this passage, Jesus addresses a question on the, on the road to the cross. He addresses a question, um, which is this question. How do you measure human greatness? What is greatness? And how do you measure human worth and dignity? What does it mean to be great? Now this is a very, uh, it's a question that I would wager most of us think about fairly often. Uh, you know, this morning, uh, not this morning, but this last week I went into my kids' room and, and they were fighting about who was greatest, Batman, Iron Man, or Eli Shane. Now Eli Shane is, uh, he's in Slug Terra, and if you haven't heard of that, that's a cartoon where they shoot slugs at each other. Modern cartoons, I'll never get it, but... Um, they're arguing who is the greatest, who is the strongest, and it was a, it, this wasn't a, like a, a, an abstract question for them. This was very personal, uh, you know, because each one of them played a character, and they wanted to be on top. They wanted to be great, but it's not, this is not a question that we leave in our childhood. This is a question that follows us into adulthood, doesn't it? I mean, most of us, we, we think about, well, you know, what does it mean to be a great human being, and how, how, how do I become one? I mean, what, what does it look like? You know, one of the things I like to do is read biographies. And one of the reasons why I read biographies is because they're stories of great men and women throughout the, the history of the world. And it's a story of great lives. And, and, and I want to be great. I, I want to be, I, I want to be, I want to live a life that's, uh, that's a great life, that's a, that's a, 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 an immutable life. And uh, so we, we are concerned with greatness. But the question is, what does greatness look like? What is the measure of greatness? How do you measure it? What is the standard? What, what does a great person actually look like? And uh, that's what Jesus is gonna talk about here in the passage. And, and what he says is that the standard of greatness is something quite shocking. And what Jesus says here is so striking. It's so uh, backwards. It's so inside out. It's so counterintuitive. It's such a counterintuitive understanding of human greatness that it really changed the world. Jesus was the first one to ever say anything like this, this. Because what he's gonna say is that the measure of greatness is the cross. The measure of greatness is humility. And so that's what we're gonna look at this morning. And we're gonna go through the passage and I'm gonna break it into three parts as we do it. Uh, number one, we're gonna see uh, the, the problem of false greatness of what false greatness looks like and the trouble with that. And then second of all, we're gonna see Jesus's picture of true greatness. What does true greatness look like? And then finally, we're gonna see, we're gonna ask the question, how do we become great? How do we become great? And so first, uh, let's look here at the false picture of greatness. Let's look at pseudo-greatness, uh, demonstrated marvelously by the fight that the disciples get in about who's the greatest in verse 23. And they came to Capernaum, And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And so here Jesus, they're on the way, they're in Capernaum, and Jesus asked the disciples a question He says, What were you discussing along the way? Now, whenever Jesus asks a question, it's not for his own benefit, right? Jesus knows everything. Uh, Whenever he asks a question, it's for the benefit of his disciples. He wants to teach his disciples a lesson. And specifically, he wants to unmask their false view of what it means to be great, which is demonstrated in their argument about which one of them is the greatest. So he says, what were you discussing along the way? Verse 34, they kept silent. So they're embarrassed about what they were arguing about here. For it says they were arguing again about who was the greatest. Now, why were they arguing about this? I mean, what, what, what triggered the argument about who was greatest? Now, in some ways, it, maybe it was just because Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom. And what is a kingdom? A kingdom is uh, it's a structure. It's an administration. A, ki- a kingdom has a hierarchy with people on the top, the middle, and the bottom. And uh, you know, Jesus was always talking about the greatest in the kingdom and the least in the kingdom. And so uh, naturally, this, the disciples are wondering, well, where do we stand in the hierarchy? You know, where are, where are we gonna have positions of great honor uh, in this kingdom of yours, Jesus? But I think it also was triggered by a, a recent event. You know, we're coming off the, the Mount of Transfiguration. In the Mount of Transfiguration, you remember, Jesus took three of his disciples up on the top of a mountain and he was transfigured before them. And they come down, and the, and the rest of the nine, they're left at the bottom of the mountain. And you can imagine, this probably hurt their ego a little bit. You know, they're thinking, why were we, were, were we left out? You know, how come we weren't part of the inner circle? And why did you get to go up there? And they're, they're feeling a little, wo- their pride is wounded. And I'm sure the three that went up didn't make it easier. You know, they came back down, and the disciples were, what, what, what were you doing up there? You know, why were you guys up there? And they said, oh, nothing, we're just up there with Jesus. What were you doing? Oh, just doing, you know, talking about Jesus stuff, you know, just us and Jesus. And I'm sure they gloated a little bit, Peter, James, and John. And so there's this, this pride. There's this wounded uh, anxiety about who's the greatest? Where do we stand? And essentially what they're revealing here is that their understanding of greatness was wrong. Because for them, uh, to, to be great was to be on top. To be, to be somebody who's great means that you are a person of status, you're on the top of the mountain. You're part of the inner circle. And a great person is someone who has prestige, they have great honor, and they have great status. And the, the, the nine feel like, look, we don't have it. And the three feel like, we do. And therefore, there's an argument. Now, uh, this argument about who is greatest, um, it sounds so silly to us, but in the ancient culture, uh, it, was, it actually was quite normal because... The ancient first century world was a world that was deeply concerned with status. There was, a, there was a deep pecking order in the ancient world. Cicero wrote, rank must be preserved. Identity is preserved by, la- by the ladder rung. And descent down the ladder was a terrible tragedy. Right? It was an honor-shame culture, and honor was seen to be in limited supply. And so people in that culture were always jockeying and fighting and uh, uh, arguing about who was the greatest. And so in this culture, it became very important to learn how to tout your own dignity, to tout your own uh, greatness. In fact, uh, Plutarch wrote a self-help book uh, about uh, learning how to toot your own horn, because <laughs> it was so important in the ancient world. And it was called How to Praise Yourself Inoffensively. (laughs) So it's pretty normal. I mean, in this culture, you know, in the Greco-Roman world, this is kind of a normal thing to be concerned with status. But it's also something that came straight out of their sinful nature because there's a gravitational pull in us, the gravitational pull of the ego that's relentless, isn't it? Always concerned about self. Always concerned about how we rank in our world. Always concerned about where I am in relation to somebody else on the social ladder. Right, and so the disciples are fighting and they're revealing that their understanding of greatness is backwards and it's wrong. It's all about status for them. Now why is this so wrong? It's because look what it leads to here. Uh, one of the reasons why t- uh, this desire for status and, the, and to be on top is wrong is because it, it leads to arguments and fights, doesn't it? I mean, what are the disciples doing? They're arguing, they're fighting about who's the best, who's the greatest. And later on in the passage, there's, they showed this attitude again when somebody else is preaching. Uh, uh, Jeff read to it. Somebody else is preaching the gospel and the disciples say, somebody else is out there, should we go stop him? And Jesus is like, cool down, guys. What is this rivalry? But this is what this, this wrong view of greatness does. It leads to fights, and it leads to rivalry, and it leads to, to a breakdown in social cohesion. Uh, when I went to seminary, uh, at, at our seminary, n- nobody was allowed to share uh, their grades with anybody else. And, uh, and the school learned uh, not th- that this was a bad thing to do because they found that when students began to share their grades and, and talk about how well they did, it led to fights within the student body. It, it led to a breakdown of the social cohesion within the school. And this is what, what this sort of desire always does. It, it always uh, breaks people apart, whether it's people on a team. It breaks the team apart, this, this selfish ambition or whether it's a church, it'll split churches, it'll sp- split families, and it'll split friendships. You've got a friend whose kid is excelling greater, uh, more than your kid at school, suddenly it's weird between you, and it breaks the relationship. Who could stand before jealousy? But it also leads to anxiety. You know, Here they're fighting, and, and what's going on? The disciples are worried, that this is causing internal stress. This, this concern for status. It's causing them to be anxious and worried and distraught about where they are in relation to the others. And this is another thing a wrong view of greatness will do. It'll, it'll not only break down on the outside socially, but it causes you to break down on the inside. And it fills you with sadness and fear and, and frustration. And you have a hard time being around other people, and you have a hard time being happy because you're concerned about where you are or where you aren't in the world. Another story, I had a friend who uh, recently went to Los Angeles, and uh, he went to a place called Silver Lake, which is the hipster capital of the world, I think, in Los Angeles. All the hipsters are there in Silver Lake. And uh, in Silver Lake, he went to the, the hippest coffee shop called the Intelligentsia Coffee Shop. And so there he was, you know, in the you know, hipster capital of the world, at the hippest coffee shop in the hipster capital of the world, and he, and he sent me a text with a picture of him, and he says, Brent, I feel so awkward right now. He said, I feel so uncool, I'm so self-aware right now. My pants are way too loose. <laughs> and he sent me a picture of him sitting in the intelligentsia, and, it, and it's him, and um, i I wasn't going to mention his name, but Scott Roulier, and Scott <laughs> Scott Roulier could never be confused for a hipster. Okay, <laughs> so it's a picture of him in the coffee shop, and behind him is a hipster, and the hipster—it's so hilarious. The hipster is looking at Scott with total disdain, and he said, "Brent, I can't wait to get home to uncool Batesville." <laughs> you know Scott didn't really care you know being hip is not really important to him but there is a social ladder that he's probably tr- concerned with and maybe it can maybe it has to do with other things like you know academia and, and grades and things like that and what is your ladder what is the status that you're concerned about maybe it has to do with money or power or how together your family is listen this this false view of greatness status prestige importance it's going it, to it's going to Tear you apart on the inside. And if you don't do something about it, 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 will, it will hurt you. And so uh, Jesus sees this happening, and so he's got to correct their false view. Uh, he, want, he, he steps into this argument. He steps into this disarray uh, caused by this sort of selfish ambition. And he's going to offer them a picture of true greatness, He's going to teach them what true greatness looks like. And and for me, this picture of greatness, it is so freeing. I mean, it is so far from the hipster, you know, uh, selfish ambition, anxiety on the inside. It is so freeing, and it's so backwards. And it's so counterintuitive, and it's so upside down. It's so striking. But Jesus says, this is what it looks like to really be great. And if you really, if you grab hold of this, it's going to change you. It's going to free you. And notice what he says. He looks at them as they're arguing, and he says, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. If anyone would be first, he says, let that person be last of all and servant of all. Do you see that? He says, you want to be great, fine. It's great, great, I'm great, you want to be great, that's great. But listen to what true greatness looks like. The person who wants to be on top, let him be last. And let him be servant of all. In other words, Jesus says this is what true greatness looks like. The truly great person could care less about status, what they care about is service. The truly great person abandoned status in exchange for service. In other words, the great person, the the great people in our world, the best people in our world are those people that that sacrifice their own ego in order to serve other people. They're living for others instead of for themselves. He says, this is what true greatness looks like. He says, anyone who would be first, let him be last of all and servant of all. Now, Jesus isn't saying that the truly great people are, are, uh, you know, doormats or that truly great people don't lead. Or that truly great people don't have positions of status. Some of them do. He's not saying that truly great people are not um, tenacious, you know, and ambitious. That truly great people are not um, productive and driven. But he's saying the thing that motivates them is different. They're not motivated by, to promote themselves. They're not motivated by ego. They're motivated, their tenacity comes because they want to serve other people. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And so in other words, there are two parts, to, two things that, that mark the great person. And the first thing is self-forgetfulness. The truly great people forget about themselves. And this is what real humility looks like in Christianity. Real humi- humility is not thinking about, l- thinking less of yourself, it's thinking about yourself less. You're forgetting about yourself. You're not jockeying for position, you know, you're not striving, you know, selfishly, you're forgetting about your own ego. And this, you know, what, what a healthy picture of a human being this is. I mean, you think about some, a body that's unhealthy, and when you have an unhealthy body, you think about your body. You're like, oh, my, my back hurts. Oh, and I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about my body. But when a body is healthy, you don't think about it. You forget about it. You know, I walked to the church this morning, and I didn't say, boy, my elbow feels great this morning. It's just working like a charm. I didn't, think, I didn't even think about my elbow. You know, I didn't walk up on the stage and say, my toes just feel wonderful. I've forgotten about my toes, they're healthy, and the healthy ego forgets about itself. The truly great people don't really think about themselves much. They're not concerned about their own status, they really just care a lot about others. C.S. Lewis put it this way, he says, do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person. I love smarmy, great word. Who is always telling you that, of course, he's nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seems to be a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. And that's the truly great person. They're they're, they're not thinking about themselves at all. What are they thinking about? Instead, they're they're thinking about other people. They're sacrificing themselves in order to to bring, they're leveraging any position they have, any status they have, anything they have. They're not leveraging it for their own ego and their own selves. They're leveraging it for other people. Others is what truly great people are concerned about. Uh, Jim Collins, who's a, who's a business author, um, an author of business books, he wrote a book called Good to Great. Anybody read Good to Great? Um, he talks about something called a level five leader. And uh, what Jim Collins did, he's a, he's a researcher, and he studied truly great leaders, you know, in the world. And he says, when I embarked on this study, I thought the truly great leaders would be charismatic, that they'd have strong personalities, they'd be the center of everything in the company. But he says, this is what I found in my research, that the truly greatest leaders were marked by two things, he said. One is tenacity, persistence, this drive. But he says the other thing was humility. The drive wasn't for themselves, They were willing to sacrifice their own egos for the sake of of the many. Jesus says, this is what it looks like to truly be great, to truly be humble. And in the ancient world, you know, like we said, this was not a virtue. You know, Aristotle's uh, vision of the great man was a man who was incredibly pompous and arrogant. But Jesus introduces this thing into the world, this value for humility, This value for for self-sacrifice and honoring other people above yourselves. And he says, this is what it looks like to be truly a great individual. Now, he goes on in verse 36, and he wants to kind of move down on this trail, and he says, how do you know if you're truly great? How do you know if you are humble? That's a good question, isn't it? And he goes on in verse 36, rather, and he says, and it says, he took a child, and he put the, the child in the midst of them, And he took him in his arms. What a beautiful picture that is. And he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. So Jesus says, here's the mark. You want to know if you're truly a great person. If you're really humble. If you're forgetting about yourselves. He says, how do you treat children? You know, our culture is that we celebrate children, and that's a good thing. You know, you see parents with their kids, and they're parading them around on their shoulders. And, you know, it's, you know we really love children, and that's a good thing. But that, in the ancient world, children were the lowest, uh, they were on the lowest rung of the ladder. They had no status. Uh, women were the same way in the ancient world, slaves were the same way. And Jesus says, You want to know if you're great. How do you treat children? How do you treat those who are on the lowest rung in your society? How do you treat the little ones? You know, so often we, we walk into a room and, and who do we p- pay attention to? We filter out those people that cannot uh, promote us. We filter out the people that can't open doors for us. We filter out the people that can't uh, promote us and, get, and give us some advantage in some way. The truly great person engages the people at the bottom of the rung. How do you treat children? How do you treat the least of these? How do you treat those who don't have status in the culture? Jesus says this is the test if you're truly humble. So we're gonna ask the final question, which is how do we become great then? So false greatness, a concern for status, true greatness, uh, forgetting about self, laying your lives down for other people, especially the little ones. How do we become a person who's great? And notice Jesus says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. There are two ways that that Jesus tells us we can be great. And the first is by seeing Jesus' own greatness. By by receiving and and seeing and engaging Jesus' own greatness. Recognizing what it means to be great according to Him, seeing His own uh, greatness. Because who is the one who went lowest in our world? Jesus went lower than anybody. You know, He was way up in heaven, and he, He cared so much about us that He came into this world and He lowered Himself, even to the point of dying on the cross. And he says, if you receive me, if you, if you recognize me, if you, if you see value in what I've done, the beauty in what I've done, that's the first step of knowing what it means to be great and becoming great yourself. Uh, John Orbert pu- puts it like this. He says, in that culture, honor meant status. Shame meant worthlessness. Crucifixion was the ultimate shame. Jesus was crucified. For his followers, this meant that either he was not as great as they had thought, or the whole notion of greatness itself would have to be redefined. It would have to become cruciform, reshaped by the cross. And so Jesus says, look, you've got you to recognize what I'm doing. Do you see what I'm doing is great? You know, most of the world thinks I'm shameful. They're embarrassed of me. Are you? Do you see the beauty of what Jesus did in lowering himself? And second of all, do you receive him? Do you receive what he's done for you? And this is, uh, you know, later on, there's another little passage where Jesus takes a little child in his midst and he says, whoever becomes like a little child and receives the kingdom like a child, to him it will be given. And so the second thing is, have you received what Jesus has done for you? Have you, in other words, become... Like a little child, have you understood that your absolute lack of status? Do you know who you are in the presence of God? Do you know that you know uh, you know Jesus when he came into the world? uh, If he was looking for somebody who could open doors for him, he could have saved himself a trip. None of us can. He already had everything. And when you realize that you need him desperately, when you understand how, how much you need him, when you see what he's done for you and you say, oh, I, you know, I don't have status, and, and in light of God, I, I do need help, and I don't have anything. When you see yourself like that and, and you embrace the grace of God given to us in Jesus, when you embrace the free gift of salvation offered to all of us who couldn't earn it and who don't have status to deserve it, when you, when you start to see that, that's the, that's the seed that's the very beginning to the path of greatness. So this morning we're gonna take communion and uh, one of the things we do as we take communion is we, as we l- gaze again at Jesus, we look at his beauty, we remind s- ourselves of, of what, tr- what true greatness really looks like. It's lowering yourself, it's giving yourself away, it's pouring yourself out. This is what Jesus did for us. And then we receive a new The free gift of salvation, we remind ourselves once again that we're children, that we have no status, that we can't earn anything or deserve anything, but we have to just simply receive what Jesus gives as a gift. So we're going to pray, and before I do, let me invite the um, ushers to come forward, and uh, uh, here, let me just pray here. Father, we thank you for um, this vision, this picture of true greatness that you give us, uh, the first shall be last. Uh, those who are great are those that, that are servants of others. And we thank you, Lord, that you are the one who, you're the greatest, Lord. You are the one who's given yourself for us. God, we are those without status uh, before you, and yet and yet that didn't stop you from reaching out to us, engaging with us, and giving yourself for us, Lord. We pray that as we take communion this morning that you would remind us, again, what it it means uh, that you have lowered yourself and you've taken the, the role of the servant to wash our feet. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.